0: When I say penis, you say Parker. Penis? Parker? Penis? Not in reference to Nicholas Parker
1: who's been on the show? No. Just Daniel Parker? Parker. Okay, Parker. Okay, my name is Matthew Kroll. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure he's a war criminal or something. My name is Shahir Dowd. I'm a war criminal. It doesn't matter. Yeah,
0: and this whatever. is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Spider-Man Homecoming, led in, of course, by that awesome parody from the nerdist, That Spidey Life. This is big for me, Shahir You I, know this.
1: I can tell right away I, by the disable level of your voice.
0: And I can tell by your disdain that you did not just want to talk to me <laughs> about this film. So we brought in... Easily the biggest gun we've ever brought in when it comes to reviewing film. Movie gun? A movie gun. Yeah, <laughs> uh, 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 we'll sure. A cinematic cannon, if you will. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it is my great pleasure to introduce to you the hosts of such amazing YouTube shows as Really That Good, In Bob We Trust, and The Game Overthinker, geek.com's resident film critic, and my favorite film reviewer. On the planet, Bob Chipman. What is up, buddy? Oh, hey guys! Oh,
2: wow! Thanks. It's uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, very. I'm very excited to have you on, Bob. I, I mean, the thing that uh, that always gets me is every week, without fail, someone on my Facebook, on my Twitter, will post your review. So I'm really excited for us to say, "Hey, guess what? He's Aha. with us this week. <laughs> he slummed it with us. <laughs> he slummed it with us completely." <laughs>
2: definitely learning the stakes. Um Bob, how are you, dude? I am good. I am uh, I'm I'm pretty good. It's been a busy day, but a decent day. Excited to talk uh, more about the movie and uh yeah, I'm I'm in a uh, good place right now. Excellent. Excellent. So, Bob, I've been
0: following you uh, since uh, the Escapist days, which we do not have to talk about, but that's been, it's been for a while. And, uh, yeah, and just all your stuff, man. You, you've you been, even when there's a very few times that I find myself disagreeing with your opinion, but you always find a way to, like, sway me more to your side than I think anyone else has ever done. Uh, and I always really appreciate it when people can, can do that. So thank you for doing what you do, first and foremost.
2: Oh, thank you, man. That
1: means a lot. Hey, Bob, I've got a quick question for you. I mean, a lot of the reviews i see right now coming from you that that do get a lot of traction and and, you know end up on feeds are superhero movies i'm curious bob the film reviewer you know pre-superhero movies what kind of i mean i've heard you talk about the age of 17 quite a lot i mean what kind of films outside of that genre really get you going
2: well you know I'll, i'll i'll watch pretty much uh anything uh the the reason that there's uh i think feels like there's a focus on superhero movies right now is because uh, that's what they're making. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> you know
2: it's you know, it's it's sort of like it's like, hey, you, you review a superhero movie every week and I'm like, Yeah, that's that's what's opening every week. That's what's opening wide and that's uh you know, ideally, especially when you're working for an outlet that uh, you do not own yourself gotcha, and uh, wants the highest traffic thing possible, you know, uh, if it comes out, you know, if Spider-Man comes out and anything else comes out, you're probably not reviewing anything else.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, but if, you, you, know, if you could, what would you, you know, I mean, what, what what outside of that genre do you wish you'd kind of taken a stab at that you might not have been able to because of the popularity of your show?
2: Uh well, I I try to cover as much of other things as I can, but um I generally I'm I actually have more in terms of just pure fun in terms of hey, that this is both fun to write and also work. I I have more fun reviewing older films of all stripe than uh, than newer stuff. That that's not to say that I think that, you know, oh, all newer stuff is bad or, you know, yeah, nothing yeah. interesting happened after 1989, but <laughs> you get to think on it more, you know, uh you you get to look at things you can kind of get like the 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 gods and generals view of history with it.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah, and there's and there's you've seen you've seen where it landed in in the spectrum of history and whether you can revise that or whether you can whether you agree with that or not, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if I had the kind of uh, if I had the kind of pull that 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 some, uh, and I, I think hopefully I can get to to that at at some point. It's been an up and down. Um, that you know, there there are some uh YouTube reviewers, quote unquote, that pretty much anything they put up is going to get a million hits no matter what. <laughs> right, and and they can uh, and and the people that can do that, ninety percent of them have worked their asses off to get there. Yeah, uh, right. to 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 a degree and, and have built it largely on their own without having to have been part of a corporation or an outlet uh, like I have. So more power to them. Just enormous amounts of respect. If, if I had that kind of platform, I might still review new movies just because I like going to movies. I see them all the time. It's, it's good to have, uh, to, to keep current with things. But, you know, the, the things as, a film content maker that bring me the most personal joy is uh, like in October when I do uh schlocktober, which yes. started out on the escapist site and now is part of in Bob we trust uh, because that's just, you know, five to 10 minute essays about, you know, bizarre old stuff that no one's heard of. And I'm, I'm never happier doing that part of my work than I am when I put out something like that or something from good enough movies or really that good and people tell me hey I never heard of that before this is nuts uh, you know I'm so glad you showed that to me that's that's as close as I get to feeling like this is more than like a job like this is yeah I, I did some legitimate good for for someone <laughs> well yeah and also I kind of want
0: to touch on really that good uh, briefly because when you first started doing that um, and for listeners uh, who don't know what that is it's basically your take you Look back, and I like almost like half hour ish deep dive into films, and you talk about like if like they are still really that good, but you do it in such a positive way. I mean, I know we're guilty, me more than Shahir, of when uh, when we don't like something, it's very easy to like attack it, but we always do fall back to we understand filmmaking is hard, and we understand Mm. most people don't go out to make a bad movie, so like it does eventually start feeling bad when it's just you know bile over and over and over again what i really love about really that good is it not only is it a deep dive but it's it's really a a positive take on the deep dive and I've, i've really appreciated that as well
2: oh thanks man yeah that that's that that's the the pure labor labor of love of what i do because it's it takes much too long and youtube's algorithms and such are much too arcane for that to ever be something that's like purely profitable yeah but but it it's uh it's the it's the thing that I'm proudest of that I've uh, put out there in the, the criticism sense of, you know, it's a thing I've always worried about in this job, in this genre of, of writing, video making, whatever, is that it's both easy and often more, seems more interesting to look at why something doesn't work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And often things that are actually, you know, good and that everyone kind of agrees are good, People stop talking about why, mm-hmm, right? And, and it and it leads to things like being assumed. You know, like oh, this like I remember when I was uh, when I was a t- when I was a kid, everyone worshipped Steven Spielberg, right? Was, yeah, yeah. Know, he 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 was, and now you know, pretty much still do. But like film <laughs> talk people, you know, just said, oh my god, Steven Spielberg, he's the 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 god of living directors. He's amazing. When I'm a teenager and when I'm a twenty something in in taking film classes in college, you know, it turns into oh, Steven Spielberg, God, you know, it's so mainstream. All he does is make movies that everyone likes. Yeah. That's so easy. You <laughs> there's, know.
1: A, there's an interesting uh, Dawson's Creek moment, which-, uh, which Dawson's features, Creek?
2: Dawson's Creek, yeah.
1: <laughs> Dawson's Creek moment, which, which features exactly that. And and I think we're going to talk about Steven Spielberg quite a lot in our next week review when we review um, Bong Joon-ho's Okja, which is just coming up on Netflix as well. Ah. Um, yeah, I completely agree with you. It is, it, it is a- Uh, a classic sort of film snobbery thing to, to, to disrespect uh, the work of populists, um, Mm. you know, and and take that uh, into and make it seem like it's assumed that populists are automatically bad if you're a film critic, because you're diving deep. I wonder just before we move on into Spider-Man, if there is one film that you could either champion, you know, something that either got you excited about filmmaking and being a film reviewer or one film that's out right now that you kind of like, you know, maybe just not be getting as much love and you wish you could just kind of direct people towards is there anything like that you could kind of just mention to us before we j- dive straight into the biggest movie on the planet <laughs>
2: <laughs> right now um I, I don't know if it's still under embargo but uh if hypothetically there was a film coming out that was about uh gorillas of some sort sure of course perhaps in some kind of conflict i would say is uh, even better than i was expecting
1: I'm sure so, wow. we're, we're going to be talking about uh, some gorillas uh, soon, and, I, and I'm pretty sure gorilla is going to get a lot of loves.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, de- definitely, uh, definitely something I was very fond of. I'm trying to think if there was uh, any other, uh,
1: even when you were, you know, young me? film student or young, you know, aspiring filmmaker, you know, something that really, you know, E. T. Anything that just got you going.
2: Uh, well, you know. I, I wish I had a more interesting answer, that, mm-hmm. you know, that wasn't like a typical geek no, nerd no. kind of thing. But uh, it was more than anything else the the early early work from uh, Sam Raimi and Peter Jackson. Oh, that yeah. really nudged me in.
1: Yep. Oh, so bad. I'm from New Zealand, by the way. So bad taste oh, awesome. is kind of yeah. you know bad taste. Brain did meet the Feebles are part of the pa- the lexicon of of what I grew up with.
2: Oh yeah, <laughs> and and they're they're amazing films, and all and also what and I. I heaven only knows if this is still the case in the the digital age, but what was so striking about those was not only are, you know, here's two guys that are sort of like making my own kind of sensibility things, is even though they're huge, elaborate, and incredibly skilled filmmakers, you know, they're working on these shoestring budgets, and you can see the the seams and the masks, and you can see how the, the, the cheesy special effects were done, and it made me want to go out and say, wait a minute, that looks about at the level of something I can manage. I right. think I could – it gets you so psyched up to look at, like, Peter Jackson playing five roles in, in uh, Bad Taste. In Bad
1: Taste, yeah. And yeah. You know yeah. what's what's remarkable, though, is I think, uh, you know, in that sort of uh, looking at something in its historical context is watching something like Bad Taste or Evil Dead and, wa- and realizing that there's no money in those films, but watching and going – I can see the filmmaker that would make Lord of the Rings in that movie, you yeah. know, because there's an escalation of of stakes and and right spectacle, which directly relates to exactly what he does in those in those later films, um, which I think is really. Yeah. Like, as you say, as a young filmmaker is pretty exciting.
2: Yeah, it, it was. It's just uh, and, and actually I did just think of a more recent movie that I think would should be on everyone's must see list. If you didn't see Colossal yet, see it.
1: Oh I oh, lo- yeah. I loved yep. Colossal. Yep. It's going to end up on my top 10 list I'm pretty sure. It was uh Absolutely. it was
0: such a nice uh a, a nice sort of surprise for me coming out of the gate and uh yeah we uh, we did Colossal Yes, we did, and we did uh, it, that was so much fun. And uh, if went like- a lot of places, other other that I didn't expect that to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if
1: you uh if you, uh, you want to hear our colossal review, or check out anything else we've done, you can go back and uh, go onto our website OnlyMoviePodcast.com, dot com, or you can hit us up uh, for a request or any other kind of review. Tell us, tell us the movies that got you passionate about movie making, or rev- you know. Wanting to find out more about movies, uh, by emailing us at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter
0: at onlymoviepod. Uh, that was a smooth transition, by the way. Yeah, just wanted like to it. call out and break the smoothness you did, <laughs> and just made, that was a very nice. Uh, that was a colossal transition here, and that was not. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Zing! All right, enough, <laughs> enough of this nonsense. But enough
1: of the 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 small indies that uh, that the small uh, indies that got us there. <laughs> Although I think we're actually going to use that phrase a lot in reference to Spider Man Homecoming. Up. Uh, pop- Possibly,
0: I, I think we are. Oh, oh I, you I, are. I, so, I, you, so it. you've just put the cart before the horse. Uh, okay, so everyone who's listened to the show before knows my history with Spider-Man. I, uh, you know, I love. Actually,
1: I don't. No, I don't what? think.
0: I don't think they do know your history of Spider-Man. I think How they know
1: your history with Marvel movies. but oh. we have not reviewed, even though there's been uh, there's been a reboot and a sequel. We, it, 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 we've this is the first Spider-Man movie that huh. we've done, and I don't think we've. Obviously we would have talked about Spider Man in Civil War. Sure, sure. But 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 let me know about uh Matt Kroll and Spider Man. I think I think there's a fun John Gabriel story in relation to this. Oh well. god,
0: yeah. Uh okay. <laughs> so uh so for Bob Shaheer and everyone else, uh I I mean Spider Man has been the the character that I have um the superhero I should say, uh that I've you know, related to the most as mo I, I, I don't know, as nerdy teenage kids tend to like that's not nothing you know special about that really Mm -hmm. whatsoever or unique i should say um but i've also been you know drawn to him because he's feels in even though he's kind of the one of the weirdest he also feels kind of the most real because you see more of his real life than most major like uh major superheroes and it's a real life that is you can relate to it because it's similar to you. It's not Batman. Who's just super rich or like Clark Kent, who's just pretending to be a doof. Like yeah. it's, it's uh it's, it feels that part feels more grounded in the balance and always feeling like an outcast, no matter what you do. So, you know, and, and that has spilled over into multiple things. Uh, Bob, I, I may or may not own three Spidey suits. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's, they, they could be in the closet directly to my right. Um, but yeah, I've just, and the, obviously the Raimi films one and two are, just I I love them so much and three Bob everyone who's listening right now uh, Bob did an amazing video called I believe it's called you're wrong about Spider-Man 3 is that what it and was the title yeah, yeah that's and the title. holy crap I literally anytime someone purely shits on Spider-Man 3 <laughs> I just I sit them down and I put my laptop and I hit play and they're like oh my God
1: <laughs> Matt carries around his laptop specifically for that just purpose.
0: for this moment <laughs> yeah I know I could play it on my phone but that's just too easy um, so I mean, yeah, I'm just, I'm a huge Spidey fan. And the, my issue with this guy's was so obviously I liked what happened in civil war. Uh, 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 but the, the I'm based on the whole, we could talk about this a little bit, but the whole Marvel and Sony deal and you know, just how Sony is Sony, uh, sometimes with these franchise movies that they just have to pump out to pull off a checkbox. Uh, it, it, it got me worried enough about this, even though there was a collaboration. So I kept uh, my expectations of this film incredibly low. Um, I didn't, uh, I wasn't even the day I was going to see it. Like I wasn't like hyped, like almost every other Spider-Man movie, even though I knew the amazing's weren't going to be good. I was always like, Oh, there's a, there's a thread. There's a hope of a hope of a chance. Uh, and this one, I was just like, Nope, I'm going to go in level headed. And, and I feel like I did that for the most part. Uh, you know, all the spoily trailers notwithstanding, but, um, yeah, I mean, that's basically, I mean, again, it's not an interesting story. It's just sort of the story you that like I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could boil that down a lot faster. Uh, I like Spider-Man. <laughs> uh, Bob, what about you? What's, what's your history with the character or the films or, or anything, uh, Web Slinger related?
2: Ah, oh, geez. Um, well, I, I can't remember exactly why, uh, why I decided I liked Spider-Man as a, as a small child. I just sort of remember that I did. Uh, right. you know, I, g- given, given, you know, the age thing, I probably didn't, like, first come to it in uh, comics, uh, especially since I don't think anyone really comes to... I don't think anyone born after about 1985 or so really comes to their favorite superhero characters from comics, you usually find it somewhere else, and then uh, slide back in. That seems to be my experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, I was always... uh loved Spider-Man as a kid, always, uh, you know, sort of identified with it, which is sort of the point of this character. Um you know, I remember uh, I was working in a uh, blockbuster video store. You're shocked, I'm sure. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> we were all there <laughs> with with uh, friends when the first Spider-Man movie was getting made. And you know, back then you you did not get the steady drip of free information right. about uh, about f- uh, films coming out. So we knew that this was in production. It had failed a bunch of times. No one knew who was going to direct it. And I I distinctly remember, you know. Leaving work one night, um, having spent the night discussing with friends, because everyone was sure it was either going to be David Fincher or Chris Columbus were the two directors in the huh. running to direct Spider-Man. Okay,
1: this is but this is after the James Cameron uh, script that kind of uh, floated around the internet for a while.
2: Oh, years. This 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 was uh, this this was after that was uh, that had become a distant memory that was never going to happen.
0: Right. Gotcha.
2: So so that went down, and uh, on my way in. So I go home, you know, go to bed, wake up the next morning to check uh, AICN, uh, you know, before uh, going in as did because we, we all did. we going to talk about at work. <laughs> we all this,
1: we th- all went to AICN is more than we should have.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. As it turned out, yeah. Um, you know, this is for for the younger folks listening. There was no such thing as a smartphone, and you generally were not logging onto the internet at work to know about things. Yeah. So like you didn't you didn't know this stuff, and this sort of thing was not reported on TV like Entertainment Tonight was not going to break into uh, their coverage of whatever Mario Lopez was doing to tell you who was directing the friggin' Spider-Man movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, 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 that was not a thing that was going to happen.
0: And I still, I'm not used to it when I'm walking by a TV that E! News is on and they're like, Infinity War! And I'm like, well, how yeah, is right. this on there? <laughs> yeah.
1: So even in the days when Spider-Man 1 was just coming out, I think Sam Raimi wasn't a household name to the point where I think... You know, film fans were excited at the idea of Sam Raimi. This guy who'd been doing sort of Evil Dead, these horror movies, Dark Man, that kind of thing, was gonna do a big, you know, tentpole release. And I think that even even the idea of like big superhero poles wasn't a thing back then. Yeah. Um. So it, it's kind of a it's kind of crazy. You know, like that was really the the point at which Sam Raimi became the Sam Raimi that we know today. Even though he's been around for a while. Um. You're also a big uh, comic book reader as well. I'm guessing. You know, uh, having a look to some of your videos, like, uh, what, what's, you know, like, is there a particular Spider-Man story that really grabbed you or, or anything in the, in the, in the comic books that worked that well for you as well?
2: Uh, you know, my, my favorite Spider-Man stories were generally published before I was born. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm very fond of uh, pr- pretty much everything on from when John Ramada took over the book as a main artist, uh, all the way up through the early, early 1980s, you know, pr- pretty much right around the time, like Todd McFarlane starts regularly drawing. And then like, uh, you know, at, when, once, Venom has come back more than once is the point where I kind of go, oh, okay, all right. I'm, I'm sort of, uh, sort of, uh, I'm, I'm no longer that interested in this, Yeah. but, uh, you know, that, that whole run is, is just probably, you know, my favorite comic stuff, certainly from Marvel ever. You know, that was uh, that was huge, you know, so that that was uh, that was big. Once I eventually was able to, you know, reread it in trades and uh, back issues and whatnot, I was like, yeah, this is this is as good as, uh, as it should be.
1: OK, uh, I'll keep mine ver- fairly short, uh, which is that Spider-Man for me is not a character I'm I've that I- I've been that interested in, you know, growing up. Obviously, uh, for me, uh, when I read The Dark Knight Returns, that transformed what I understood about Batman. So Batman became the zenith point for what I thought and felt superhero, the superhero genre could turn towards. So I was always a Batman fan. I, I really enjoyed the first Spider-Man movie I, in the theater. I thought it was like a rollicking good time. It was, it was the first time I kind of felt like, Hey, this is just, you know, pure cinematic fun. Um, I wasn't. And then I think, you know, for me, My, my, uh, if you listen to any of our back episodes, my lack of interest in superhero films because of their sort of adherence to conventionality started, I would actually really pinpoint it to being around Spider-Man two, which I know is, is like, you know, a much beloved film. But, uh, but for me, that was the point at which I found, um, the emotional undertones of what Raimi was trying to do with Spider-Man to be a little uninteresting uh, if you know it seemed to work and people loved it but i, I personally started finding it a little you know, fairly uninteresting. Um, I, I, I mean, you know, I'm maybe I'm a little bit older than you guys. I, I still remember watching the, um, the Spider-Man TV show, uh, back in the day with the actual theme song, uh, you know, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Uh, I used to, I used to, I'm definitely, I'm pretty sure I tried to like throw myself off a couple of, uh, fences or something like that, pretending to be Spider-Man when I was a little
0: kid. Um, <laughs> you threw yourself off fences. Pretty sure. You didn't th- at least jump.
1: <laughs> uh, Pretty sure I thought I could, I could, I could uh, shoot webbing out of my, out of my hands. Okay. uh, Well, you have
0: to build the web shooters first. (laughs) This is before organic webbing. (laughs)
1: Um, And, uh, you know, like I have, you know, Spider-Man's a a character that I've kind of been curiously fascinated by. I I guess the main thing that I'm really curious about now is that the fact that Iron Man is a bigger draw card to fans than Spider-Man Is You know, you know, and you can even see it in the marketing of Spider-Man Homecoming. It feels like Spider-Man has become a secondary character, even though he was the 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 poster child for the Marvel for for Marvel comic books. Uh, So I guess I'm really curious about that. But, you know, again, as I say, Spider-Man is something I'm kind of mildly interested in, but
0: not 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 ever, you know, devoutly in love with fair. Fair except for all the spider man two stuff I, I I think that's all fair <laughs> uh, <laughs> um yeah so so this movie in particular guys uh it- Again, we mentioned it briefly, this this Sony and Marvel sort of team up, which seemed very hopeful to me at first. And then uh, with the announcements of the Spidey Cinematic Universe that will kind of, I guess, break away from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, even though he's going to be in Infinity War. And like then they're doing obviously the Venom movie and the is there a black cat and silver sable? Is that the thing that
2: Uh, well, they say it's a thing. They've signed a director. Um, uh, they've, si- they've, si- they've signed a, uh, a pretty good director. Uh, Gina Prince Blythewood is, uh, is on that, uh, which is, you know, I, I think it's a terrible idea, but good for her.
0: Yeah. Okay. What, what, uh, what stuff's she, that she's, she's done? Is she, um, I'm trying to think of, because the name sounds familiar. I'm just not. Secret Life of Bees.
2: Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Gina Prince Blythewood. Uh, she, she's best known for, uh, uh, love, uh, disappearing acts and love in basketball. Uh, in two- that both came out in 2000 uh probably the two best known ones and uh secret life of bees and beyond the lights in uh 2004 and she's also done a lot of television yeah i've heard very good things about beyond the lights yeah she's uh oh and she's also directing uh the cloak and dagger pilot for marvel oh uh, the the, the tv i
0: I thought that looked interesting what did, did, did you see the trailer for that yes i did what did you think about that
2: i think it looks interesting i think uh you know, Cloak and Dagger always felt, you know, it's a pr- pretty good characters in the comics, but always felt like as a concept, something that was waiting for someone to come around and say, oh, hell, this should be a TV show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So so it's taken long enough, but hey, it looks good. It's on uh, it's it's on uh, whatever ABC family is called now.
0: Yeah, oh, oh, God. Yeah. They rebranded that, didn't they? Fu-
2: uh. f- fusion, Freeform. Freeform.
0: Yep. Freeform. Yep. Yeah. uh and if it's so funny because if you look at something like the cloak and dagger trailer versus something like uh, i don't know the inhumans trailer uh one was paid for by imax and doesn't look great yet uh and the other one just sort of came out of nowhere with these sort of minor characters too that are just i don't know i just i'm so looking forward to that uh in you know direct (laughs) juxtaposition of the inhuman stuff um but so sorry so yeah so the 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 deal with with Sony and Marvel is kind of unprecedented in like big sort of franchisey history, right? Like like borrowing a character and like you get money off your movies and we get money off our movies, but like we get to use Tony Stark and you get to use Spider Man. Like that just seems so strange. And then it, I wonder, especially watching this film, Spider Man: Homecoming, like. The parts that I liked and the parts that I didn't like, I'm wonder. I always find myself like, who, who am I blaming for this? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. it's Sony when I don't like it, but maybe it's a Marvel thing. I don't know. I, I could, my fanboy could be showing. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, what do you guys think?
1: Well, I was, uh, the thing,
0: you know, part of my homework this week was I, uh, on Hulu,
1: there was a documentary playing, uh, Doom, the untold story of Roger Corman's Fantastic Four, which I, which I caught and watched. And, and that's a really interesting, um, it's, it's, you know, it's not a great, great film, but it's an interesting look at, at the way in which the rights for a property can become hotly contested and can basically, allow a film like Roger Corman's Fantastic Four to be made in the, in the, in an attempt to kind of seal the rights. And I think, you know, like the one thing about it, that, that, um, we have to remember Sony bought the rights to Spider-Man when Marvel was not a studio. And when Marvel's, you know, biggest success story at up until that point had been things like the schlocky Spider-Man TV show or, um, or the, the, Incredible, uh, Hulk the, the Incredible Hulk yeah. TV show. So these weren't like, you know, high watermarks for, uh, for translation of their material into, into a cinematic world. Um, so the, 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 the selling off of the rights between Marvel and Sony, uh, it, it I guess, and Bob, you can probably speak to this more because I didn't even watch the sick and amazing Spider-Man movie at this point. Um, it felt like it, you know, it's impossible for Sony to try and continue the the facade of owning Spider Man and keeping Spider Man from Avengers when it seemed that he was such a a bitter fit for for uh, what Marvel was doing with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, and I I wonder if you guys, being passionate fans about Spider Man, didn't see it as a somewhat kind of admittance of defeat, uh, on Sony's part. And, and maybe even a cynical, you know, like having the character redrawn this third time so quickly after, you know, it had basically been redone again for a second time, uh, felt somewhat, you know, like it seems to me that the machinations of a studio were on display for us to, for us. And I, and I wonder as you guys, as fans, you know, whether there was something kind of mildly cynical about that or my, you know, like made it feel slightly cynical.
2: I don't think I need to have been a fan to to, to see this as completely cynical, right? <laughs> like, like this, this, this is as this is as naked a glimpse as the the mass audience, both of press and you know, like the the, the press never gets to see it this clearly. The audience certainly doesn't of of seeing how the sausage gets made on these things, right? You know, of like like this, this is, and a lot of it is. Very unfortunately, you know, like the, the ugly component to this is I don't know how much of this ever happens, uh, without the Sony hack. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Of course. Yeah. You know, and, and now that we, you know, unfortunately, like at the time that was already kind of ugly. It's like, oh, hey, you know, I, I don't love, uh, you know, these hacker brats, you know, breaking into Sony's email and, you know, effing up everyone's, uh, jobs just because. And now those same guys have kind of, uh, you know, Peds that had their fun with my country's elections. Yeah. So uh <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah so that happened. So <laughs> it's 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 no it's so what was already an an ugly side to this story is now a really ugly side to this story because you've got all of that business involved. But uh, you know the the thing of it is, even when the amazing movies were coming out uh we now know, and it was, you know, moderately known at the time that Marvel and Sony were talking to each other and past each other trying to work out some way to to cross promote these things. And uh the, the issue with it is 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 that Sony needs needs Marvel a lot more than Marvel needs Sony. N- yeah. Not in not in terms of like making a good film. I think if Sony uh if, if Sony was not run by fairly incompetent producers. Yeah. You know, which they are, and with Tom Rothman there now, right. continue to be. Yeah. Uh, this is me pretty much seeding any chance I'm ever gonna get to actually work in this <laughs> yeah. town. <But> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, 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 yeah, so- Sony has been run by morons for a long time, and they're just run by a different class of morons now, just trying to build the company's stock up so it can eventually get sewn to, uh, sold to this or that chinese conglomerate so yeah. whatever
0: meet the new boss same as the old boss <laughs> i,
2: I you, you you could have knocked me over with a feather when they said okay we got rid of that regime at uh, sony that uh, everything was going wrong for uh, now meet former head of fox studios tom rothman one yeah. of the most despised figures in the entire film industry in the united <laughs> states coming into uh to 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 get the save at sony
0: yeah, it's uh, it's amazing how that happens. Uh, well, I mean, if you look at Sony's that, Sony's
1: biggest biggest hit to date is Spider Man. Their second biggest hit to date is Spider Man Two. Their fourth biggest hit to date is Spider Man Three. So you can understand, uh, you know, and, and 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 I'm I'm sure from Sony's point of view, seeing what what Marvel had become, you know, like you said yourself, Marvel didn't need Sony as much as Sony needed, you know, the Marvel property. But but that was not the case, you know, uh in in 2002, you know, when when Spider- Spider-Man came out that just, it's simply, you know, the, 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 the thought that Iron Man was going to be a huge successful film that kicked off this entire cinematic universe, uh, was, was, you know, but, but a mere glint in the eye of Marvel's, uh, you know, executives at that point, Kevin Feige, Feige. Um, so, so it's, I'm curious, you know, like, I guess I find it uh, interesting and I, and I, I see a lot of the the potential cynicism for the way we would watch Spider-Man Homecoming at play right from the get go like this is a film where you know the it feels like this character who again was the most successful superhero prior to Iron Man uh it feels like this character has been re- has, has so much f- fallen from grace and is now, and is now kind of a minor character that needs to be propped up by Iron Man, by Tony Stark in the Spider-Man in, in his own universe. Um, and, 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 needs, and the audience needs gentle reminders of, Hey, he was in an, in Avengers infinity war, you know, he's going to be in infinity war. He's, he's a character that we all kind of love. Get it. You know, like, look, here he is. Uh, I mean, I'm curious you guys as fans, how you, how you responded to that.
0: I mean, <sighs> I think, to be honest, the amazing films. Uh, well, you know, you you could pick some one or two sort of things that are maybe okay uh, throughout them. I think one of the major damages that they did was to the character of Peter Parker. Like in my opinion, they made him not only not Peter Parker, but just not likable. He was kind of a dick. He literally steals a minority's internship to get into Oscorp he does these small tiny weird dumb things that, that are just like this is not a good person and he's like he's more of a dick than he is a, he, I don't know he just so it, it's kind of sullied and I, and I feel like if you look at you know uh, Toy McGuire or Raimi's Spider-Man versus the amazing Spider-Man not that I think that um Andrew Garfield would have made a particularly bad Spider-Man had he been directed differently mm-hmm. I just think that with with Raimi's films you get a character that y- you you can really buy into the weird amazing shit that spider-man does because behind it all is the character of peter parker being played very well who is a shy invisible nobody who has a heart of gold and in the amazing films it's like he's the same person inside and outside of the suit yeah. uh, and it's just it just it sullied it for me mm-hmm. and now i was psyched to sort of see uh something at least closer to 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 Raimi's Spider-Man. I don't know, Bob, what do you what do you think about that?
2: Uh, well, when it comes to the amazing movies, I can't put too much of it on Andrew Garfield. I really can't put too much of it on Mark Webb. Uh, you know, they have awful screenplays um, written by not terribly good writers. Uh, once again, goodbye to working in the industry. But, you know, no, you, Listen, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely or- sure
1: all of Sony's people are
0: listening. Everyone's right now. listening. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Or, Orsi and Kurtzman are just not good at what they do, and they're really not good at what they keep getting hired to do, which is build these universe things. Uh, and the thing is, you look at the Amazing spider movies, if you follow the, the business of filmmaking for a while, you start to be able to see the difference between a movie where the uh the producers in terms of the executives of the company who want to control a whole bunch of other business stuff through this movie and it are in charge and where a, a director is in charge and, uh, you know, like like for better or for worse, in, say, the Transformers movies, not good films, don't like them at all, but Michael Bay is in charge of those movies. Right. Because yeah. if he wasn't, they wouldn't be three hours long and go <laughs> off on all these bizarre tangents that are just sort of specific to various obsessions of Michael Bay and and his writers
0: Romeo and Juliet law uh,
1: Also uh Robert uh, uh was it uh, Kurtzman and uh, Orsi are, uh have been involved in the Transformers universe
2: in, in the second one yeah, yeah. The, the the worst one the yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that's how bad they are. They wrote the worst Transformers movie. <laughs> Transformers.
1: <laughs> but they are, but they are producers extraordinaire who you know continue. I mean, uh, their 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 work is extended into the Mummy universe this uh, this past oh, year. Oh God, well. that's right. But also Star Trek uh, and Transformers. You know, they, they're prolif- if nothing, if not prolific. Oh,
2: I I am willing and and look, I, I as as a working writer, I I never want to to shit too much on another working writer, so. You know, there is such a thing in Hollywood of being really, really good in the room, Mm -hmm. and the with the kind of things they do, it's very clear that they must be spectacular in the room in terms of pitching. Because there's good at pitching, and there's also good at being able to, you know, hear whatever stupid note that the executive is sending you and say like you know he needs to skateboard in this movie you need to you need to get him on the, you, you, you know, like like literally if you want an example of why these guys must be effing amazing at what they do go back and watch the uh the the Poochie episode yeah, of the Simpsons, the Simpsons yeah, yeah, yeah. and and watch when that poor guy is having to tr- to draw a character based on the random vague uh insistencies of all of these guys and listens to every one of them incorporates it in and eventually gets a thumbs up from them that That is the the working experience of Hollywood's screenwriters on these things. And if you can do that, you can work. If you can hear them say, we think Peter Parker should uh, should have a skateboard scene in there. Can, can you get that in? Can, can you make him more of like a chosen one? Can we get a, a destiny sort of thing happening? Because everybody likes destiny in the Matrix. If you can say yes to that and make that executive feel like his note has been listened to and is in the script you will work yeah. to, to so, be so fair so kudos to them.
1: Yeah. To be fair. Uh, the amazing Spider-Man was written by one of my fate. Well, by a person who wrote one of my favorite screenplays, James Vanderbilt, who wrote the Zodiac. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, to be fair, I, you know, orti and Kurtzman kind of came on in the second half. And I think, but I think there's something true to what you're saying in terms of, uh, what's w- the thing that's true to me about that is, is even if you've, if you've critically failed like Ortsy and Kurtzman have known to have done, you know, especially with Transformers 2 for an executive, they would much rather trust someone who has you know, delivered on a franchise before, then try someone new, especially franchises like Transformers that and Star Trek that make money. You know, they these movies are colossal, colossal money makers. Um, and so, you know, I, I think and and it really does get into that question that we've been having, especially in relation to the to the firing of um, Phil Lord and Chris Miller on the Star uh, Star Wars franchise movies, uh, the Han Solo movie, as to what what a director is required to do on a movie like this, especially I think, you know, uh, uh, especially around Patty Jenkins uh, in Wonder Woman, there was this sort of question of like, do we trust a director to do this? And I think the firing of Phil Lord and Chris Miller, if you want to talk about the, you know, the sausage being, you know, seeing how the sausage is made exposes the notion that directors, especially on these big tentpole films and especially filmmakers coming in like John Watts for uh Spider-Man homecoming aren't necessarily there because of their previous work. They're there because they have known to deliver or could potentially deliver and are at a stage in their career where they may be willing to take those kinds of notes, as you just mentioned before. Um, you know, and I think, I think there's something really interesting about what John Watts delivers on Spider-Man Homecoming in
0: relation to that conversation. Um, well, should we should we have spent about a half hour, if not more, talking about the histories and the back from back and forth? Yeah, let's get into it. Let's, let's get, get, into, get it. into the
1: homecoming. I feel like I should go first because I, I want you guys to have the the lion's share conversation okay. about this
0: movie. Okay. And I, I'm, I'm, yeah. So I this is want- terrifying, Bob. When he sets stuff up like this, <laughs> it's normally a trap. <laughs> so just be ready for anything.
1: I want to say a couple of things. Uh, Spider-Man: Homecoming for me um is a good example of something that i often feel like doesn't work in, in these larger Marvel, you know, larger cinematic universe movies, which is that it's reliant entirely upon your no, your knowledge and understanding of previous iterations of the character in order to engage with and enjoy this particular, uh, particular film. And I, and I find that, um, I think that can be useful, but I find more often than not that that does not actually advance what the film is potentially able to do as much as it kind of just you know gives us a framework to understand it. I, and so, an example of where I think that really works well is Logan, which you know, which takes our knowledge and understanding of who Logan is and transforms it in a way. It's you know, kind of similar to what uh, Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns did. Um, so, so that's something I'm always kind of like uh, I feel often on the back foot with with these kinds of movies when when it's so overly reliant on reminding us that that it is part of a bigger franchise. And it is part of a bigger universe, and that is where we should draw our pleasure from. Um, on the other side of it is this is a genuinely charming and engaging and fun film. I actually did have a very good time at this movie, and 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 I think it it comes down to a couple of things. One one of the and I'll I'll bring it break it into minutiae just to just to explain my point a little bit, which is that that the reason why I think part of us were all dazzled by the, the initial, the first by the Sam Raimi Spider-Man was that Raimi managed to bring to life the the visceral thrill of of being Spider Man and and it was something that you know we'd kind of all thought about and we hadn't really you know we'd all imagined but Raimi actually like brought it to life so we we saw Spider Man swinging from Manhattan's buildings and it, and it was it was a roller coaster rush the interesting thing about homecoming is homecoming never tries to do that it never you know and I, th- I think that was something true of of the amazing spider man as well I think homecoming really just skips over that 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 attempt to translate the visceral pleasure of being Spider-Man to screen. Instead it, it, I mean, it has smaller moments like that, but instead what, what I'm kind of really impressed by is John Watts as a director. He's a, he's also a credited screenwriter on this film of just, pushing the story forward. He's, he really doesn't linger on, on any big visual theatrical moment. Instead, he just kind of just rams the story forward and he just keeps it going and keeps churning it up. And I think, you know, as much as, as much as my initial hesitations about, the way in which we should watch a movie like this because of its place within, you know, a twenty-two movie arc at this point. And 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 I, you know, I, I think we've talked about this in, in some of our previous reviews. Um it feels to me a little bit like like we're getting into uh, what television was back in the '90s, kind of thing with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is that they're kind of every movie feels like a monster of the week, and it's just kind of treading water. That I, I don't, I'm not passionately engaged with the overall arc. That said, I think this is a very good episode of the Spider-Man story. <laughs> I think this is a very, very good episode of uh, of a Marvel tv during shows. peak week yeah exactly it's you know it's like it's like a good bottle episode um you know it's
0: it's or sweeps week sweeps week sweep. it's yeah.
1: it's inconsequential it's it's moderately unambitious um but it succeeds on its own terms and that's what i like about it um oddly it feels to me to be the first, it feels like an indie Marvel movie. If that, if that, mm. if those two words thrown together kind of make sense in that if it, feel- it feels like, imagine if there was a superhero movie at Sundance this year, and this, this would be that movie. Um, you know, it's small, it's charming, It's some, and as, as pejorative as the term has become reflective upon Sundance award winners recently, it's, it's somewhat inconsequential, but it, but it works on its own
0: terms. If that is true, then that would explain why you kind of liked it. I kind,
1: I kind of, (laughs) I, I didn't, I didn't dislike my time at the movie it, 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 it's 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 Fair. on par with star trek beyond and guardians of the galaxy for me as
0: in they're really okay good entertaining episodes okay bob you wanna you wanna take your first thoughts
2: uh i i agree with that summation of it i i think if it was a sundance movie it would be one that uh probably didn't make it to theaters
1: exactly exactly a film like The decisions which won a lot of awards but nobody saw
2: yeah, I, well, I don't, I think it would have won awards either. I think it would have been a Sunday that people kind of said, oh, hey, that's charming. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, which is, you know, by the way, fine. You know, every once in a while, one of those turns out to be a big deal. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna probably date myself a little bit, which is bizarre that this would be considered dated, but it really sort of feels like a rep, like everyone said the reference point to this was like, oh, it's Ferris Bueller's day off because they, they showed it on TV at one point and they've done that really cynical trailer that, yeah. you know, just makes it look like Ferris Bueller's Day Off because they play the run home song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And And, uh, but like the, the reference point to this to me, honestly, feels a little bit closer to Napoleon Dynamite. Okay. Yeah, Fair. I can see that.
1: Although Napoleon Dynamite is a major head.
2: Yeah, well, it was, but it was also a really tiny movie that came out of nowhere because the Nickelodeon crowd got onto it and said, oh, hey, this is us.
1: Yeah, okay. I can see that.
2: Yeah. I thought, you know, I think the movie's fine. I, I think it's just a fine. It's a good enough, mostly disposable teenage movie that happens to also be about Spider-Man. And I, I don't see that as an inherently negative thing. I, I see the fact that, you know, they didn't make a particularly interesting movie or tell a particularly interesting story out of it to 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 be a negative thing. I think if you're... If you've got something that you know whatever form you release it in, you're gonna make one billion dollars, no matter what <laughs> you know it, it it you should possibly feel just a little bit obligated to to you know do something you know remotely interesting with it the, These movies tend to be either really good, really interesting, or really bad and to have one come out that's just an a a decent, not spectacular two and a half star movie is almost kind of weird you know where it's it's a it's not a movie that like is going to elevate the marvel thing at all it, it doesn't do a single thing to change the face of the marvel universe or really add anything to it but it also doesn't like it, it, it's not like when batman v superman comes out and it's like oh my god is this whole project already over right yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, it doesn't do that either. It's just, uh, it's an okay movie. It It is very much an episodic thing. Like, okay, here's the most recent Marvel thing. It's out. You enjoyed it for, you know, two hours or however long it is. And uh, now move on and watch some other movie. And I'm, I'm fine with that, even if I wish it was a better movie.
0: So, I agree with both of you. Uh, however, this is, my, I guess this is my difference. So, we talk a lot about on here, um, sort of how a movie sort of makes you emotionally react. Now my emotional reactions to this film, I can, I, I feel, and it's weird to even be able to do this with a Spider-Man movie. Cause I should just kind of want to like it blindly. Uh, because I'm me, but the, I can definitely separate sort of uh, what I feel is like the good parts of it, the bad parts of it, what works, what doesn't. It is you are both correct. It is just an okay movie. but the things that it does well in that stew of okayness are the exact things that speak to me as a as a film viewer as a as a content creator and as my sort of my uh i guess uh inner child so to speak or who i was when i was like 15 and uh i what i found way more interesting than like because the action stuff was just sort of action stuff and it was neat like that's cool shahir you mentioned they don't like ever do total like full-on action porn to it so it's like it's just like yep and they move through it and whatever the high school stuff the stuff with his friends the the, the moment honestly that was the most heart- heartbreaking for me in this film we'll just get into spoilers because we've been talking for so long and this isn't even a major one uh, (laughs) is when uh, when they're in Washington D.C. at the field trip and Liz Allen runs into him and they're all going to the pool like they snuck out of their rooms and they're going to the pool late night on the school field trip which I've done a bunch of times and I've also felt left out of doing a bunch of times and Peter can't join because he has to go be Spider-Man and it's just like it's those moments and uh, Ned uh, who is best friend in the movie, Ned really sort of seals all this sort of feeling home for me. Uh, that's the stuff that I really gravitated towards then you put that through a Spider-Man lens for me and I I, I, guys I'm not kidding when I said I was literally caught myself just consistently smiling Mm. and then I get into the question of okay if I'm really loving the experience of watching this but I know (laughs) critically that it's just a film I don't know where I should fall on this Uh, I feel like I'm gloating a little not gloating uh, making a sort of a more glowing review than I should I think its use of music feels sort of super forced and like all superhero movies are using popular like poppy music. So now we're going to cram a bunch of songs in here. Randomly. Oddly,
1: we're going to cram in the Rolling Stones right at the beginning.
0: Let's just do it. Yeah. Uh, I feel like um, uh, I think there's something you called out, Bob, in in your review, the heavy lifting scene. Uh, where, uh, due to no fault of his own, I guess Vulture knocks a whole building on Peter Parker and we get that classic comic book. Spidey has to believe in himself to lift the giant thing off him. Cause that's a trope throughout a bunch of times. Uh, but as you said, Bob, uh, in your review, which everyone should go check that out. Uh, it's basically like the reason that works in other spidey stories is because there was a moment where he didn't believe it like really didn't believe in himself and this movie doesn't have that yeah like he just looks at the mask and I, I do remember kind of groaning when he like looks down at the mask and sees his reflection i was just like okay mm. uh so there's moments that do break it but again i have to say uh it, it, the right place right time right viewer and uh i i this is a movie where if i know your tastes and if they align with mine in sort of a spidey way this <laughs> might in a spidey sense sort of way uh, i would uh, uh, you know suggest it to of someone unabashedly however uh i have a lot of friends that do love the marvel movies some of the marvel movies not all of them that i'd be like eh, it's so right like it's just it's a it's a weirdly it's so strange to say that the marvel sony team up of spider-man homecoming is a personal experience for me because <laughs> yeah. it is just total franchising uh but yeah i i really uh overall loved it a lot and uh i'm looking forward to you know subsequent viewings i loved i loved all that little stuff and the super nerdy stuff too the, the subtle uh easter egg stuff with um What's his uh childish Gambino? Why can't the guy who's Don playing the yeah, Don Glover who's playing the Proto Prowler? Yeah, uh, basically uh, mentioning he has a nephew being Miles, Miles Morales. Morales. <laughs> yeah, uh, the the Mac Gargan stuff was a little heavy handed. I liked it when he first showed up, but then it was a little bit too much for me. Yeah. And then the MJ reveal sort of thing was neat, even though everyone already knew she was basically MJ anyway.
2: Yeah, that's I, I can't wait for the post mortem on that because it feels like they chickened out of something and then tried to chicken back in. Yep, exactly. It's
1: weird. It's, I feel like they've they've placed her in some, some, somewhere on the spectrum all of a sudden, like MJ is somewhere uh, you know, there, there's something kind of misaligned with her and, and I've like, I'm wondering where that's going to
0: go. Well, I think they just wanted to go complete opposite of what MJ is normally. And first of all, MJ yeah. didn't go to high school with Peter. Right. Uh, in the comics. If I remember correctly that she was a friend of Gwen Stacy later once they were in college, I think, I don't know. But like, so MJ in high school, even though it worked very well in the Raimi movies, cause she was the only sort of one, but you have Liz Allen as the love interest in this one, uh, which is great. Uh, oh, Let's talk about let's talk about this. How did you guys feel about uh, first of all uh, Michael Keaton? I think I never I never even realized anyone could make the vulture good. Uh, <laughs> the vulture is just a character that like totally works in like the sixties and seventies, but like now you're like old man in a bird suit, <laughs> uh, which I mean, my- Michael Keaton's been playing a version of that That's, role uh, yeah. his entire life. Yeah. Um, but how did you guys feel about the turn? And this was a legitimate actual twist for me that a very spoiler heavy trailer um, release schedule did not spoil. Thankfully the scene where Peter's picking Liz up for prom and the door opens and it's the vultures there. And and at first I thought it was the classic moment of, Oh, the villains figured it out and he stopped by and now he's got the family hostage, but it turns out he's actually the, it's Liz's dad. Yeah. I, I was like, In weird nerd shock for a little bit. And uh, I don't know. I loved that moment. How did you guys feel?
2: You know, I I like it as a reveal because like it is it is the only thing in the movie that I couldn't see coming from a mile away. Yes. And it is so because it's a gigantic flaming cheat that 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 that, that he would not that, that he would have gone to school with this person for several for many, many years uh, and not only not know, you know given, given the fact that we are informed early on through visual exposition that uh, Peter and Ned have been quietly stalking this girl for, <laughs> you know, enough time because we have this whole scene of them sitting in the lunchroom and remarking to each other on whether or not she's worn different clothes that day, which is, you know, because they're small and harmless is is sort of adorable. And, you know, if they were literally two years older in portrayal, you know, would be just sort of uh creepy. Like worse than Andrew Garfield was <laughs> right, on the creepy right, right. scale in in this thing. But so they know all of this about her. She she's with them. They she's friends with them. They're on this team. Not only has Peter never met her parents, he did not see a single photograph of the vulture when he's in the vulture's house at some other point in the movie. And for whatever reason, Liz Allen D- despite the fact that her mother is credited in the business for this as Alan Toombs, Liz, for whatever reason, does not use her apparently on good terms stepfather's hyphenated name uh, so that Peter does not get to see that other last name in school and make this uh, connection. Right. So, um, you know, I'm not someone who who tends to complain about plot holes like it's a minor thing. But if you think about it, there's no excuse for him not to know this.
1: I I uh, I think you know within the within the world of the film and the world of Peter's concerns, I I feel like it's plausible that he may never even put the two things together, uh, so that it didn't bug me that much. Uh, but but it sounds like you know like again it, you know I think Matt, what you're saying is that it, it works as a moment, and for me personally, I think the thing here is that it comes down to. Um, how efficiently a job John Watts, the director does at pushing the story forward so that when that moment happens, it genuinely feels like a moment and it's a, it's a smaller moment and it's not hinged upon sort of a big explosion or anything like that. It's hinged upon our understanding of what we know of this character. Um, And, and I, you know, like I, I may have kind of been, it may have sounded like I was giving this a backhanded compliment to begin with. I genuinely enjoyed this and I, and I was genuinely taken by just thinking about this film from the point of view of of John Watts as director. Um, you know, John Watts is a guy who, who had done a schlocky horror film before this, a movie called clown that he basically got greenlit off the trailer, which he said was directed by Eli Roth. And then Eli Roth called him and said, Hey, do you want to actually make this movie? Which is kind of a, a weird success That's story. That's a strange
0: and, success story.
1: That's <laughs> yeah, a strange success story. Then he made, you know, uh, uh, a sleeper indie hit, uh, cop car, which I haven't seen, but, but a, a very good friend of mine, Gavin McGibbon, who also hosts another podcast podcast uh did say you know recommended me to watch it and he said the reason he's excited for Spider-Man now is that he felt like this was a director who knew and understood story and that's the kind of person you should give a franchise film and and having watched this film I kind of agree with him again you know bob you and I kind of talked briefly at the beginning about uh, of of like the pressure with which the studio is is trying to churn this out in order to 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 make a profit so the artists who come in the screenwriter the director are really at the behest of a machine that wants to simply print money and and whether you can do something interesting within that framework is a challenge and now i don't i'm not suggesting that john watts has done something extraordinarily interesting with this i think you know, as odd as it would, I think if the film was the Miles Morales story, I think that would be pushing it further than, than I think we might be comfortable with. And I think that would be interesting and exciting and, and that would be a bold step. But even if it's not, I think John Watts as a director proves that he can, he can work within that machinery very efficiently. And and I have to say for me personally, more convincingly than say someone, uh, than, than Patty Jenkins did on Wonder Woman. Uh, mm. I, I was not as taken by that film. Now, I don't think this film is as ambitious as Wonder Woman, but I think this is more successful in what it's trying to do in its own terms. Okay. I
2: I can't go there, but I understand how you get there.
0: Right. That's fair. Okay.
2: Uh So, so,
0: Here's here's the thing. This is uh, again, I feel like I've been heaping praise on this. I want to talk about one other moment in the film near the very end that I didn't particularly. It's one of those like (sighs) it's like eating too much ice cream. (laughs) <laughs> uh, when like brain freeze it, well, brain freeze or just your stomach turns. you're like yeah I can keep eating this because it's delicious even though your stomach is hurting you're like why am I doing this and the moment I'm talking about is when finally everything's wrapped up and Peter defeats uh, tombs and you know delivers them to the cops and Tony Stark's like I knew you could do it kid and then there's this moment at Avengers uh, headquarters where Tony's like yeah now we're gonna make you a full fledged member of the Avengers and I got 50 press people back here and here's your brand new suit and then uh, he shows in the suit and it's cool and he almost does it. Then Peter decides that, oh no, it's just exactly I want to stick with my regular life as what I liked all along and blah blah blah. And he's like, was this a test? And Tony's like, Yeah, it was a test. And he leaves, and then it turns out, due to a funny little reveal, that Pepper Potts is back in Tony's life, that there actually were reporters and this whole thing was real. That to me, that was a moment where it just didn't feel natural in the world that the movie had built. It didn't feel natural to the character that Tony Stark kind of has been set up to be, and it felt like it felt like a move. Like it felt super corporate, even from the Sony side, because they they need Spider Man to be important enough that the Avengers would want him, but he needs to be on his own. Yeah, like, and it just felt. I don't know. That was the most dishonest part of the movie to me how did you guys feel about that
2: i uh you know i i agree that it's forced um i i knew it was coming because like once as soon as the the arc of the movie sets in within the first five minutes of Oh, oh, okay, this is a stay-in-school-kid movie <laughs> yeah. Where, yeah. where joining the Avengers is standing in for a lucrative NBA contract. Yes. You know, is, uh like, once that's there, I'm like, oh, okay, so the end of the movie is they offer him to be in the Avengers, and he says, no, actually, I've learned that I want to stay here and help, you know, my people. And, you know, it sets up this whole, you know, kind of equally forced dynamic where, you know, Peter, who is seems to be poor we don't really know what their situation is but they don't seem to have a ton of money uh and uh you know like like so that he is a where i'm not sure do they say what aunt may does for a living uh i don't i think she's just professionally hot in (laughs) this universe yeah uh
0: people just fawn over her because it's marissa tomei
2: yeah i I don't know (laughs) <laughs> that, that like Well, we're leaning on the idea that, uh, you know, Peter is nominally working class because, mm, yes. he's, you know, basi- basically because he lives in an apartment block in Queens. That's that's kind of the, the angle there. And therefore, that gives him some kind of camaraderie with the vultures that we can lean on this very sort of forced blue collar working class hero bullshit. Right. He goes, you know, Pete, guys like us, the corporate guys, they don't understand us, which is, is it works because he's full of shit but also it feels like the movie wants me to be more sympathetic to the vulture than I really feel like I should be. Right. Cause even if
0: you get screwed over by a corporate overlord, you're still a dick. If you start murdering people with alien weapons.
2: Yeah. Also there, there were, you know, are we to believe that was the only construction project in Manhattan? Right, well, <laughs> it like, well, there, you know, there, no. there was nothing. There was no other. Bit, like he's he's basically a scrap metal dealer, right? Yeah. Is is what we're leaning towards here. I'm pretty sure there's other stuff in New York that needed to be taken apart. But but whatever. Bob, he, he
0: bought he bought trucks. He bought six trucks.
2: Yeah, I know. And, and he's, and, and he's, empl- and he's employing a bunch of other minor references to other Spider-Man villains. So fine. You know, whatever. It, it, like everything else in this movie, it's like, ah, you know, fine. You know, good. I see what you're doing. A for effort. Good enough. He has the wings. So I, I won't complain too much. But, uh, the, the ending thing with the Avengers thing is, is, is a little forced because it, it feels like that should be a, like the 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 Iron Man tone and the Spider Man tone are kind of like crashing up against each other here. Yeah. Where like you know Peter's ending there is very earnest and like you know oh yeah okay he's he's made the correct decision. And were Sam Raimi still making these series? That's when the 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 slow strings part of the Elfman score would come back and he'd get a little monologue and someone would non solemnly to him and it would be cheesy, but you'd remember it ten minutes later. Whereas here, you know, we get our, you know, okay, yeah, good, attaboy, Peter, good job. And then instead of immediately following, you know, the star of our movie home, you know, we we get a surprise cameo from, hey, guys, Gwyneth Paltrow's back. Holy crap, we, we thought she was out of the series, but no, she's back, and they're, and they're gonna, you know, and John Favreau's there, and we're saying, uh, hey, sorry for fucking up Iron Man 2 on you, uh, John, Here you can come back in the movie and, and hand him a ring so that the, the romance, are, like, it's fine, but it's, it's the most forced of all of the, the reference stuff in there, which otherwise I was genuinely surprised that the Marvel stuff was not more obtrusive. Like, I kept waiting for the vulture to have an infinity stone or, or or some, (laughs) yeah, or, or some dumb forced bullshit that's there to remind everyone. It's no, no, Iron Man shows up when, when he's, when it's logical for him to show up. You know, Downey is, is actually acting in all of his other scenes. Like, when he's, you know, doing the, you know, I'm very disappointed in you thing, you know, he's, he's not phoning it in at that point. You know, I, I like the, I, I really like the meta gimmick of, having him literally phone in a performance earlier and then making the idea that no, he's actually here right on set. This is the real shit now. Yeah. As a a way to drop the hammer on the audience and let them know, no, this is where this gets real. This is this is not a joke anymore. That was who whoever wrote that in, baller. Yeah. Right. Very well done. Agreed. But uh like the ending of it is it's one extra little joke too far. It's the only point where it really does the Spider Man movie ends and instead of us following Spider-Man to the next scene, we stop for a brief prequel to Infinity War. And it's right. the only place where that's a little bit of a problem.
1: And I, you know, I, I think piggybacking off that, um, I, I, I agree with you that the, the that this moment is the most cynical Tie in uh, of this whole of this whole exercise. Um, you know the curious thing for me, and I think the reason why it worked was I actually was was kind of sold by by Michael Keaton's The Vulture and and his kind of blue, co- you know, as you guys call it, blue collar bullshit. Um, <laughs> because because his his entire argument is that Tony Stark continues to to continues to profit off his own off his own chaos, and I and I something about that did ring true. And I what I'd ho- what I would have hoped. Is that is that um, Par- Peter Parker's rejection of Tony Stark of joining the Avengers at the end was an acceptance of the Vulture's point of view? There, that that you know, in order to to create our own destiny, we have to take things into our own hands, and and so if you know, like that that line, if you if you. If you what was the line? If you need the suit, then you don't need the suit. Or uh, how would he? If say? you need the
0: suit, then you don't deserve to have
1: it. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. If 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 the if the the result of that line had been him realizing that he needs to go and make his own suit, or you know, like I think that would have been a more satisfying ending to this as a story. Whereas instead, what we get is is a a closer tie into to the Avengers sequel, uh, the Avengers Infinity Wars. But but again, I don't you know because. Michael Keaton kind of works this well. And I think, and I think the story works, you know, uh, as it needs, as it's required to work, it it doesn't, it it doesn't throw me out of the movie. It doesn't like make me go, ah, this is really not working. It kind of all, it, it it's more like, you know, like it, the whole film just kind of just mishes together well enough, as you're saying, you know, like it, it's, it's all there. It all comes together. Nothing about this is bad, mm. you know? And, and I think maybe, maybe the cynical part is if that's our barometer for what's good, that it's not bad, uh, then, then, then maybe the, you know, we have been bombarded enough by, by the machine of the Marvel cinematic universe, which is being my argument. And, you know, and the thing, the reason why I, I I feel this way about this is that there are other interesting movies around right now that that do tend to get drowned out by the conversation around what these franchises are doing. And frankly, you know, as we've kind of discussed, they don't they're not doing anything particularly interesting other than creating movies that connect to each other. Um and and, and so but it all it all mishes together and it all kind of works.
0: I mean, yeah. I, I agree with that on the on this film, Spider-Man Homecoming. Obviously, Shihir, you know, I don't agree with that on, as a whole on the on the MCU. But, um, but I we're mean, we're all allowed to be wrong about something. We and I just I haven't found that time for me yet. One day I'll get there, Bob. It will happen. Um, but guys, all right. We've been talking about this for about an hour. We should wrap it up. Final thoughts. We're going to give it to you, uh, Bob, at the end. So she just real quick sentence. You basically sort of did it. But if you had one thing, should people see this?
1: I I think it, I think it is a, a good time in the movies and and I think you know the thing about it was that there was a in, in our screening Matt and I went and saw this together there was a little kid in front of us who was far too young to be in this theater he was probably like True. four or five or something like maybe six or seven I don't know. I don't know can't tell but but the thing is I wanted that kid to enjoy this movie on a level where he would. Run out of the theater and try to jump off out of a fence or something like that. You know, parents, I'm telling Wasn't you, fall off a fall, fall off a fence, fell, off the fence or something <laughs> like that. You know, like do the flip, flip. You know, really get into the character, really feel energized by it. And I feel like superhero films should work at that visceral level to our childlike brains, where we should we should engage with them at a level where we want to, we walk out of them wanting to make the world a better place and wanting to do good and wanting to do amazing things. And I and I hoped that this child child in front of us kind of got that experience from it and, and I I wouldn't be I think the movie works well enough to do that. I as I've said before my my criticisms are that it feels oddly unambitious for a large tent pole Action movie and and we've said this before, making these kinds of things is incredibly difficult. So so for me to say it's unambitious is, is sort of is talking about it on a narrative level. You know, it's uh, it's unambitious on a narrative level, um, but it all works and I think it's held together by a great performance by uh, from from Tom Holland, who's who gives me a real um, Michael Keaton kind of vibe. Uh, you know, uh, I'm sorry, Michael J. Fox kind of. Vibe. I was going to say her? Yeah, No, no, a Michael J. Fox kind of vibe where he's doing this sort of G. G whiz kind of performance it's really big but it but it but it all really works um and and really like really efficient directorial choices by john watts and it, and it makes me want to go back and watch cop car and clown and just see the 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 things you know like as we talked about peter jackson earlier the things that led john watts to be at the helm of such a tinpole film but also Uh, the hope that, that at some point he will step away from this and make interesting films on their own terms.
0: Fair enough. Uh, I mean, obviously I think people should see it. I also would send certain people that I know in with a grain of salt, uh, more, very, you know, more super critical people or people that don't enjoy these kind of movies in general. Uh, but it, it hit me in, in my feels. And, uh, again, I do have to say that the strengths of this movie do lie in the high school parts, uh, and the uh, Spider-Man parts and the MCU parts are, uh, just sort of the icing on the cake. And sometimes, uh, the cake is all icing and it gets a little bit sour. Uh, but overall, I mean, I really enjoyed it. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how Sony, um, totally doesn't mess up its own Spider-Verse. I think I, I just I'm just really looking we're, to the future. We're hoping that that life prequel turns out to be. the Venom Oh, prequel. yeah, we really, Bob, we really wanted the film life to be the Venom prequel.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a strange rumor. Yeah, I, I just I was like, all right, let's go. Anyway, Bob, final thoughts. Uh, I, I don't know if I should say that, like, you know, everyone should see this. But the thing is, everyone's going to see this anyway and uh you know there's nothing ro- there's nothing like super wrong with it you know it's a a perfectly serviceable small minor movie uh if not for the the fact that it's based on uh a you know 70 year old media franchise and now connected to this big marvel hullabaloo it would probably be a a one and done quickly forgotten movie that people would think about 5 years from now and go oh yeah hey that one about the kid with the spider bite that was kind of cool yeah, right. Uh, you know, it's it's that kind of thing, and I think that the only way that the Marvel Cinematic Universe whole big thing is both going to survive on its own terms and also not become a black hole from which every other movie genre cannot escape is for us to get to a cultural point where it's okay that not every one of these matters. You know, that they can string together this actually unimportant meta story about magic rocks and the people who do or do not have them. And just because <laughs> that gives you the illusion of, you know, a bunch of uh, stuff that you absolutely need to see, that you really can just, you know, see it eventually and just let it live in the big cultural zeitgeist and not necessarily build... Your entire movie going life around it, because otherwise this is gonna burn itself out. Yeah. But if, if the eventual future, once we're done killing Thanos or, or whatever is the point of Infinity War, if, if this is gonna be what a lot of this eventually looks like, is a bunch of little movies that come out, they're kind of connected to each other, but if you don't give a shit, you don't need to, it is probably the way that this sustains. And, uh, you know, in that respect, I think it's a, you know, it's, it's a decent little movie, and uh I'm sure I'm gonna get sick of talking about it because there's just nothing in it that's worth spending, you know, the years that we're gonna spend talking about this on it. Uh I, I hope that the the next one, by which I mean the next Spider-Man, not the Infinity War, I hope the next one of these looks at this and says, Okay, we've got good characters, we've got our high school stuff, it that that all works. You know, the foundation is here. Now that we've established that we can do light and airy fun with this. What's the what's the other shoe? You know, now that we've done the villain who doesn't really matter, we've gone through a, a, you know, a a relationship story that's not really quite there. You know, what is what does this look like when it has to get big and serious when we get the What's the Empire Strikes Back moment for this franchise? That is what I want to find out.
1: Uh, okay. Bob, do you, just just a one quick question off that. Do you think it's, it's it's it behooves us as reviewers and as an audience to to challenge our expectations of what we think these movies should do in order to push that forward? So, I mean, it's curious because you said that you know, like if we if we accept that the cultural conversation is about just accepting that these films are little and inconsequential, do you think, you know, I, I kind of, uh, backed myself into a corner a little earlier when I said that, you know, the fact that the film is, is okay, is the barometer of what requires it to be good. Do you think we need to be a little bit more aggressive about that? Or do we, you know, as an audience, do we need to like say, Hey, you know what? We shouldn't shell out as much money for these kinds of movies and we should be shelling out things for for interesting, challenging movies that 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 transform the way we understand cinema and life in general. Or or, or is it OK just to kind of, you know, it's a fun movie to see on a Friday night.
2: I don't think it needs to be an either or. Right. I, yeah. I, I, you know, I I think that's to. Assuming for a moment, you know, that not everyone is in the kind of financial straits where they can only see one movie a year, mm-hmm. you know, assuming for a moment that you get to watch more than one movie every every six months or so, I don't think it needs to be an either or choice. You know, whether or not you go to see uh, Spider-Man Homecoming has no effect at all as to whether or not Terrence Malick gets to make another movie. Right, you right. Know, what what matters is, you know, go, going support, it is more important to support the interesting stuff than to not support the, you know, the the, the studio stuff. Because that, one is going to get made no matter what. You know, you're, you're going to, if you really care about advancing the cause of cinematic art with your ticket buying, you're going to get, you're going to do more going to see small films than you will not going to see big films. You know, your your protest vote is almost Uma. dumber here than it is in an actual election.
0: <laughs> right. I could not agree more, sir. Try. Uh, well, guys, this has been the only podcast about Spider-Man Homecoming. Bob, when you are not doing everything that a spider can, where can folks find you across this worldwide interweb?
2: Uh right now the majority of my content uh independently is posted to uh, my YouTube channel that's uh, under uh Moviebob. Uh you can uh, find the shows are called Really That Good, In Bob We Trust, uh Game Overthinker. Uh those are them. Uh you can also find uh, my blog, uh my personal site rather, that kind of uh collects a hub of everything that's moviebobcentral.com. Uh please bookmark that and go because that uh makes things good for everything. Uh MovieBob One is the Patreon that's uh paying for me to do a lot of this stuff. And, uh, I am also the, the, you can find my weekly paid, uh, professional gig at, uh, geek.com. That's, uh, every week, uh, usually once, sometimes twice a week with, uh, reviews of, uh, new release films. Uh, please check that out. And I'm also a news writer for, uh, screenrant.com. And, uh, check that out there because I have, uh, some interesting, uh, I hopefully, hopefully interesting, uh, <laughs> long form articles posted there, which, uh, you may find, to your enjoyment as well. And, uh, please follow me on Twitter at the, uh, at the underscore movie bob. Uh, because sometimes I get off on a real tear and I don't want to be there for that because I sometimes have to delete it right afterwards.
0: They, they are always wonderful. And I, I, every time I see you come across my Twitter feed, I'm like, oh yes, I'm, I'm going to get, I'm will enjoy I will enjoy this. Um, yes. And please, again, I just want to reiterate one more time to everyone, uh, go to Patreon, look up movie, Bob. Donate, I think, what is it, a dollar? You will be getting so much content for so little money.
1: Uh, and entirely worth your time. It's it's worth voting with your dollar Yes, this vote way. with
0: your dollar there, people. There's <laughs> a vote. Uh, thank you so much. Yes, no, of course. And thank you for being on the show. Um, and Shahir, of course, when you're not uh, debating the validity of the MCU with me, where can people find you? I, I feel you? like that's pretty much all I do at this point. It is. is. Okay, so, so you nowhere
1: know else. Uh, if you want to see that more often um, you can go (laughs) to uh my website com. that's s-h-a-h-i-r-d-a-u-d want to put in a plug for the music video we launched last week uh pyramids uh wind at my back, which uh, is not available on a single site right now, it's still on Vimeo, so you have to post it. So we will post it again on the Facebook page as a link after the show comes out. If you want to, if you want to check it out, it's that very way.
0: good. It's very cool. It's very colorful.
1: Yes, and robot music video is it coming?
0: Way, it is coming. Oh it my ha- god, it has a
1: release date. And so robot music video will be coming soon. I'll Bob, keep
0: you posted about that. Uh, Shahir is a director and he makes music videos uh, a mm-hmm. bunch. He makes great ones, but the one I'm really excited about, he made forever ago, and I guess it's fi- it's it's robots that play like real music like nice. it's 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 going to be amazing and I'm very psyched for that uh, and everybody you can find me at Matthew Kroll dot com dot com for my life and work Skeletor the number four P-R-E-Z on Instagram or Emperor MSK on Twitter also please come to iTunes leave us stars we like them um, write us in for your own movie requests or hit us up on
1: your thoughts on Spider-Man Homecoming but uh, on Twitter at only movie or email us at uh, only movie podcast at gmail.com
0: and we will get to all of your emails you sent us in uh, next week. We know this one went a little long, so we will do that. We got a bunch of good ones from a a bunch of different topics, both agreeing and disagreeing with all of us. Bob, thank you one more Mm -hmm. time. It's been great having you on.
2: Thank you, man. Thank you so much. This has been a lot
0: of fun. Excellent. And we will see you guys uh, next week. Yes, hopefully
1: for some uh, Netflix-fueled fun with uh, Super Pigs. Yes.
0: And post-credit scene. <laughs> no, that's it. We're done. <laughs>